program during the second service as well. And so uh, beginning today, we're starting with the, uh, uh, the children up to ages five. And so if they want to go out, they're able to do that. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Isaiah. It's in the Old Testament, right after Psalms and all that. Um, and we'll be in chapter 9. Everyone has probably seen uh, Jimmy Stewart in his 1947 movie called It's a Wonderful Life. I, I consider that to be one of the, uh, the most uh, uh, favorite uh, Christmas movies that's out there. Uh, it, people watch it every year. And you, you, you go through it, and even though you've seen it a hundred times, it still has an ability to touch your heart and just move you within the, the framework of how they presented things. The premise of this whole movie is based upon this man, George Bailey, and how his life, every time he has his dreams, his ambition, his desires, his goals, his aspirations, whatever you might want to call it, every time he's about ready to get on that train and set forth into the world, something happens and he isn't able to go. And, and, and it's, it's that holding off of what he always wants to do. And yet you see as the movie unfolds how his life makes a huge difference because he's willing to be self-giving to those around him. He doesn't hold back himself for his own needs, though he wants to and he claims he's going to, yet he cannot do it. This, this movie then, uh, we, we are introduced uh, to Clarence Oddbody. Uh, he's, a, he's an angel, second class. He doesn't have his wings yet. So we, we kind of get to meet this, this character that is going to be present in this. And as, as they're observing everything that takes place in George's life, we come down to a scene towards the very end of the movie in which is spoken this little phrase from which the movie gets its name. It's a wonderful life. So as, as we enter into this portion, things have changed. And, and George has decided that he's tired of never being able to have what he wants. And so he's going he's gonna to take his life and he's going to jump into the river and just die. End it all. Because everything is falling apart around him. But Clarence intervenes. And he wants him to understand how important life is. But George makes this statement, I wish I had never been born. And so our clip is going to share us a little bit of what happens if we had never been born. Even your mother may not recognize you. There's got to be, isn't there? But you know what this movie is all about? It's, it's about a man's life. And had he not been born, all the things in his world would be different. And really that's the same for each one of us. Whether we know it or not, our lives impact people around us. In fact, the ripple effect of our lives, of each person's life, really is, is quite impossible to measure. Everything that we have done in our lives up to this point has changed the course of history for somebody or for something. And we have to recognize that. Now, no matter who we are, whether we're great or small, or, or, or no life really has impacted the world as much as the one life of a man by the name of Jesus, a little town of Nazareth. In fact, there's no way to fully grasp how much that one life has changed this world. 
it's totally different. I mean, the, the whole world and all of history now pivots on the life of this one individual who was born in a little obscure town in Galilee. He, he's there. And life is no longer the same for anybody because of him. Yet it does not surprise us because of who he really is, as Scripture tells us. He is the Son of God. And his entrance into this world changes everything. One of the ancient scriptures that was written about Jesus and his birth comes from the prophet Isaiah. And in Isaiah, he writes the stories. And this is one of the most famous passages of scripture that go back to, to talk about this Messiah who would come into this world and who he would be and what he would do and what he would be like and how the world would be changed as a result of his coming. So we, we look at this passage here and, and we realize he was writing about the coming of Jesus' birth a little over a thousand years before Jesus was born. We, we have a record uh, that was discovered not too many years back um, in the Qumran community of Dead Sea. And so the Dead Sea Scrolls have a, a copy that was written over 700 years B.C., before Christ came, that clarify as well this story that Isaiah is going gonna, is gonna to explain to us about someone coming into this world. So it really is a wonderful life. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to begin in verse 6 and 7. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Our text this morning really speaks to us about Jesus coming into this world, the Messiah, and he prophesies about him. And it's really valuable for us to understand as he identifies who this is going to be, this ruler that is coming into the world. And, and all that that is going to encompass is based upon his identity and his character, which is described within these titles or these names that he is given. And this person really for us is this. He is the Lord of all creation. And because his ability to enter in, things have changed. But what if that event that Isaiah was speaking about, the birth of this child, this son of God who was going to come into the world, what if he was never born? What would our world be like if Jesus was never born into this world? Would it be any different would it affect our personal lives even, or would it just be the same as we've always lived? Now, it goes without saying that the world in which we live would be a much different place if Christ had not come into it. We recognize that because we've lived it, and part of our understanding of life is based upon Him and coming into this world. The first place that we go is in the area not of our own personal, but of worldwide stability. You see, if Jesus had not been born into this world, 
we would have a world without peace. You ever think of that? And we think our world really isn't in peace at all right now. Our world is in such conflict. Everybody hates one another. They're arguing about this. It is so dysfunctional and and distressed because of just the, the hostilities that we bring into it. But yet, if Jesus were not born, consider how bad this world might be. A world without peace. Beginning in in 1901, there was a group that decided they were going to identify individuals around the world, a global identification of people who were trying to do things to bring about peace in this world. And so every year they award somebody a prize. They call it the Nobel Peace Prize. Now, as I said, it began back in 1901, and it has moved forward even into this year, in 2020, there are people who have received it. Now, I don't want to go through all those years of people, recipients, but let's just look at a few of them that are closer to our time frame. So here in, in 2020, the World Food Program, that's a, an effort from the United Nations, received the Nobel Peace Prize They received it for its efforts to combat hunger, for its contribution to bettering conditions for peace in conflict-affected areas, and for acting as a driving force in efforts to prevent the use of hunger as a weapon of war and conflict. You see, people have always used food for everything. You know, they say the way to a man's heart is through his stomach, right? But in warfare... Food is also a weapon that's used. We, we would hear about a, 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 an army that might lay siege around a city. They would, they would encamp around it and keep the people held within. And what would happen is they might stay there for a year or two or three until finally the people inside the city ran out of food and they starved to death unless they were brave enough to come out and fight. But this World Food Program is trying to get people to quit using food as a way to control and destroy people that are your enemies. And so they've received this Nobel Peace Prize. In 2019, a man by the name of Abiy Ahmed, he he is from Ethiopia. He received this award for, listen to this, for his efforts to achieve peace and international cooperation and in particular for his decisive initiative to resolve the border conflict with neighboring Eritrea. One man, one man is doing enough to end a conflict between two nations who are at war with one another. In 2018, there were two who actually received this award. The first was Dennis Mukwege and Nadia Murad. Now, Dennis was from the the Democratic Republic of Congo, And Nadia was from Iraq. They received this award for their efforts, listen to this, to end the use of sexual violence as a weapon of war and armed conflict. When people are vulnerable, they're used. 2017, the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons was the one who received the award. They're from Switzerland. It's an organization that is there. They received it for their work to draw attention to the catastrophic humanitarian consequences of any use of nuclear weapons and for its groundbreaking efforts to achieve a treaty-based prohibition of such weapons. Mankind is always able to create 
massive weapons of destruction. Because if we can figure out how we can kill more of them than us, then we win. But in this type of situation, it's going to be more devastating for the rest of the world as well. In 2016, Juan Manuel Santos of Colombia, South America, he received the award for, listen to this, for his resolute efforts to bring the country's more than 50-year-long civil war to an end. A war that has cost the lives of at least 220,000 people, and it has displaced over 6 million people. But this one man has been moving forward and trying to bring an end to that civil war. These are great things that have taken place. If these people had not been born, conflict would continue to go. You see, world peace is the absence of conflict. Whenever there are not struggles, battles, hatred, takeovers, all those things, when those things are gone, we then have world peace. And every Miss America is trying to proclaim that she is there for world peace, right? Our passage here in Isaiah tells us that the promised Messiah, he would be the prince of peace, the one who would bring an end to all conflict. Wow, that's, that's significant. And had he not been born, we would not have a world where peace would ever be attained. Our world has always been enamored with people who are considered peacemakers. So we always try to give awards and we always try to promote who they are and what they're doing, such the Nobel Peace Prize. We're always searching for a way to bring peace around our world. And it seems that all we hear about, however, are the conflicts that are taking place. That's all you can see on the television today. If you listen to the radio even, it's there. When you're surfing through your internet, all the news media, all they're producing is things that are about destruction, about conflicts, about violence, about the hatred of mankind towards one another. That's not a world of peace. But this one who has come into the world has come to bring peace. See, conflict is all around us and we cannot escape it. It has a way of impacting every facet of our lives. But God's peace is more than just mere absence of the conflicts of war. It is His very presence that brings peace. So I think maybe our idea of what peace is and God's idea of what peace is, they vary drastically. I mean, there's, there's wide expanse between the two. I mean, they come from different vantage points to begin with. In Isaiah's day, as well as in Jesus' day, people were looking for political peace. We don't know anything about that, do we? Much as it is in our time, it seems like there's always some type of peace summit taking place somewhere around the world where people are asked to come and sit down and talk things out and let's work together. And that type of peace that they're searching for, I mean, it's honorable and it's beneficial, but the peace that God has in mind is not a type of political peace, but is a peace that is established between God and me. 
between God and you. It's a personal peace that He wants to bring into our lives so that we can have peace and contentment no matter what the circumstances are in life in which we're living. When man separated himself from God in the Garden of Eden by his choice to break the covenant and eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the world lost peace. And the relationship between God and man was broken as well. And when sin is present, conflict is always there, especially between God and the sinner. But Jesus came to end that struggle. This child who would be born that Isaiah speaks about, this son that would be given, he's the one that's going to bring peace to us. And so it's true that we live in a time of civil unrest all around the world, but it has always been that way. Since the fall of Adam and Eve, we have been in a civil unrest with each other. And one generation is no different than another generation throughout history. We're all the same. Civil peace is extremely hard to obtain, perhaps impossible, because our world is filled with people like you and me. But peace with God, now that's attainable. And it's attainable not because of anything you have done or I have done, or, or even for that fact, any of the things that these Nobel Peace Prize winners have done over the past 119 years. It is attainable because of what God has done in sending this child, His Son, into this world so that we might have the peace that He so desperately wants us to have. Not only would the world we live in be a world without peace, but if Jesus had not been born, it would also be a world without joy. You see, joy comes from knowing Jesus. It's a great joy in my personal life to know Him, to know that He loves me, He cares for me, He wants the best things for me, that He's involved in, in forgiving my sin, and that He desires a personal relationship with me in spite of my weaknesses, in spite of my failures, that the God of all would want to know me. And I have joy in that, just knowing that He wants a relationship with me. He is concerned about my life, all the little intricacies of who I am, even my little idiosyncrasies that sometimes kind of get on the nerves of other people. He loves me. He knows my coming. He knows my going. He even knows the thoughts before I'm going to speak them and even before I thank them. And in spite of that, he is still chosen to have a relationship with me. And he knows that same thing about you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. That's the reason that he sent his son into this world. The most important thing in life is our relationship with God. And we all need to have a personal time with him on a daily basis. We need to meditate upon his word and spend time in prayer talking and communicating with him. We need to sing from our hearts the joy that we know that he has in us. That relationship is significant. And it's something that we need to take with us everywhere we go so people recognize there's something different in the life of that person.
The love of God is probably one of the most simple things, yet it is vastly unbelievable idea of all scriptures. I mean, it's so complex in its content, and yet it's explained as a very simple thing. And we can know that Jesus loves us, but we can never truly comprehend how deep that love goes. Karl Barth, who is a German theologian and philosopher, he was traveling through the United States on a tour, just giving his speeches and his lectures and everything. And one time he was asked by a reporter that was there listening to things. They wanted to know from him. And so they asked Karl this question. They wanted to know what is the greatest truth that he ever, ever discovered in Scripture. And this was his reply. Jesus loves me. Now this I know, for the Bible tells me so. This theologian who, who many have just kind of flocked around and they've revered for his ability and his intellect and his, his, his capacity to share uh, things on a grander scale than what the normal man would dare to even begin to understand. And yet, he takes it to the very simple statement of a children's song. There's no greater philosophy than that. There's no greater understanding than the fact that Jesus not only loves me, but he loves each and every one of you. If Christ had not come into this world and been born, we'd have a world without joy. A joy that comes from knowing that God cares about us. When we see how God cared for Mary and Joseph and that little baby Jesus after he was born, and there was a king that was sending his army to go kill him as a baby, that God cared about them, and he prepared some magi, some wise men from the east to prepare ahead of time to be there and to help in his ability to be cared for. And so as they came, they presented him with the gold and with the frankincense and the myrrh, the things that would be of value so that the family could flee from Bethlehem and, and head to Egypt and live until a more opportune time came for them to return back home to Nazareth because the king who had sought that child's death had died himself. And if God cares for Mary and Joseph and Jesus and he cares enough even more for us that he would send that child to die. That's awesome. It's a Bible teacher in our generation, John MacArthur, he said this. He says, it thrills me to know that the God who created the entire universe, who is the God of space, time, and eternity, who is infinitely holy and completely self-sufficient, should care about supplying my physical need. I mean, just as loving fathers, we want to provide for our children, our Father in heaven wants to make sure that we have our needs met, and He provides for us. And if He had not sent His Son into the world to do that, this world without joy would be without a joy that comes from uh, through enduring both the good and the bad times that we have to face. James, the little brother of Jesus, he writes, as we just have read the past few, uh, few months here, about his letter to the church. He makes this statement in, in the first chapter in verse 2. 
And he tells us that we should count it all joy, my brothers, when we face the trials of various kinds. We should consider it joyous whenever we go through hardships. That goes against our understanding, doesn't it? We shouldn't be happy when we struggle. But yet James is saying, when you're struggling, when you're going through the hardships, you have to remember that Jesus loves you and he himself went through these hardships so that you can have pure joy. So take joy when we struggle, in the good and in the bad. And if Jesus had never come into this world, we would not comprehend these types of joy. And a life without joy would be a life that is truly miserable. A world without peace, a world without joy, sounds like a very pretty depressing place to be. But that's not even the worst of it. If Jesus had not been born, we would have a world without salvation. And really, that's something that we all need. I mean, it is. I mean, we think we can live even in the midst of war, and people do, in the midst of conflicts. So even if peace is not around, we still live. And we can still, in that process, still find joy. But sometimes, even the joy seems to disappear. But truly, if Jesus had not been born, this world would not know what salvation is. Isaiah chapter 9, just before these verses we read, up in verse 2, he makes this statement. He says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. He's talking about us. We walk in darkness, even though it might be the midday sun shining bright and beautiful, which we've got a wonderful sun today. And yet they can walk in darkness. What is that darkness all about? It's about our soul. It's about our spirit. It's about our integrity. It's about our life. We walk in the darkness. A person can be walking around in the brilliance of the day, and a darkness is there because there's no redeeming love that God has for us. A world of darkness is a world in need of a redemption. And to fill that gap, that conflict between God and us, to find the forgiveness that we all need and to know that God personally freely gives us everything we need, all we have to do is accept the gift of His Son being born into this world as an offering on a cross later on in life. For the forgiveness of our sins. There's this unusual epitaph written on a headstone in a cemetery out east, just outside the city of New York. There's no mention of when the person was born or when they died. We don't know if they're male or female or what their name was. We know nothing about them, if they were ever a father or a mother or a brother or a sister. All we know on this tombstone is this word, forgiven. That's it. And you know what? I think that's probably the most important thing that can be written there. Wouldn't that be great to have that on your tombstone? Forgiven. That says, that's not a sermon in and of itself. Because it is only a child of God who is forgiven. 
And if Jesus had not come into this world, we would not have the forgiveness of our sins. We would not be able to be buried with Him into His death through baptism. We would not be able to be raised again into new life through the power of His resurrection and being born again ourselves into this world. This world needs many things. We know it needs to feed the hungry, and it needs food for that. It needs medicine for the sick and for the afflicted. It needs peace for those who are in conflict with one another. But most important and most of all, we need the redeeming power of Jesus Christ to make it light in darkest corners of this earth or right here where we are today. Isaiah says at the end of verse 2 there in chapter 9 that those who walk in darkness, they will see a great light. And that light is none other than Jesus, this child who was born into this world. A world missing peace and joy and salvation wouldn't be a world that any one of us would want to be a part of. It would be a world without hope. And unfortunately, there are people in your neighborhoods that live right next door to you. And maybe there are people that are within your own household, in your own family, who are living without hope. But Jesus was born. And as we celebrate the birth of Christ in this world, it changes the course of history, and it changes even our lives. The great news is this, that Jesus did come. He came that we could have peace with God. He came that we would have joy and abundance. And He came that we would have, most important of all, salvation and a relationship with Him. As we kind of wrap up today, I want to give you this opportunity. Because of what Jesus has done, he asks that you and I would respond in some way. Maybe you've never accepted the gift that God has given. The gift of a baby born in a manger in Bethlehem. A place of insignificance. Maybe you've never accepted the gift of His life upon a cross. That He would die in your stead. Maybe you've never accepted that the power that he had vested in him as the Son of God to rise back to new life, to be the firstborn of all people who would ever rise again. This Christmas season, do not let it pass. If you have never accepted him as your Lord and as your Savior, I challenge you, do it. We're going to sing a song of invitation. And I want to ask that if you want to make a decision, if you want to confess Him as your Lord, if you want to repent of your sins, if you want to, to tell the world about who He is, if you want to give your life and be baptized into His name, into His death, into His resurrection, make that decision today. Don't let another day go by. You would stand with me.